You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Proximity alert. Something's coming. What does that tunnel lead? Well, it connects to the rest of the... park. Claire, it's the T-Rex. It's the T-Rex. It's not the T-Rex. Probably. Welcome to Jurassic World. I mean, Jurassic Park. I mean, Isla Nublar. I mean, oh no, wait, that's, I don't know where we're, anyway, it's an, there's an active volcano is all I know. Um, and uh, I'm really excited to be here today. Um, it's quite warm, though. This is going to be a hot show. In fact, this is going to be your hot Jurassic take uh, on Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And I'm really excited to be joined by my good friend, Brandy, uh, to talk about this brand new Chris Pratt extravaganza. I'm excited to be here. I'm looking forward to having this discussion. I I saw the film literally just a few hours ago, so it's all fresh in my mind. Very nice. Uh, I, I saw it last night. I, for the second time, um, sadly, there was an inebriated female oh, next no. to me no. who kind of ruined the show a bit. No. But that, yeah. Anyway, uh, before we dive in, so excited to be here in the 602 Club. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you can find the show everywhere. Um, if you happen to be a person who gets your podcasts from Apple Podcasts, go over there and give us a star rating review on iTunes. It really does help the show. In fact, still the majority of places that people get their podcasts are from Apple. And so when you give us a star rating review, it helps more people find the show. It helps us rise in the ranking. So uh, hit us up with that and we'll call you out on the show if you, you give us one and give you a big old thank you. Um, also, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Trek FM. You should be following us there. Uh, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. So make sure you like us on Facebook. Uh, you can get to the listeners only discussion group over on Facebook where you can talk to all the listeners about all the different shows that are happening. Uh, that's called the Babel Conference. Type that in in the search field there and you'll find us. Or if you're on the website at Trek.fm, which is a great place to peruse and find out all the shows we're doing, uh, you can go to any of the show pages there will be a little button that says discussion. Click that, and that would let you into the Babel Conference as well. And then last but not least, you can go over to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and you can send us an email. And then I get that email, and anybody who is a host that week with me gets that email as well. So, uh, And last but not least, I usually do this at the end of the show, but I want to say a huge thank you to our associate producers here on the show. We actually have a brand new associate producer through Patreon. Uh you know that Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson have been supporting this show through Patreon for years, legitimately for years. And Daniel Noah has also joined the show as an associate producer. I really want to thank him. Uh, he's been a really big supporter of the show for a long time. And now uh, he's decided that uh, he wanted to uh, use uh, one of his associate producer credits through Patreon uh, for the 602 Club. So I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me that anybody 
who is giving to us through Patreon to support the network decided that the 602 Club was worth their support uh, with that associate producer credit. And uh, Daniel's a great guy. Uh, and so I just wanted to say a huge thank you to him. I'm very proud to have uh, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, and Daniel oh, Noah um, supporting the show through Patreon. Uh, we'll just do this right up front. Heck, go to patreon.com trekfm and see where you can become part of the team as well. Uh, this is a massive, massive network. We have so many shows coming out each week, and there's absolutely no way that we can do this without you. So, oh yeah, we ask you to support the network as they have. Um, every little bit helps, but there are some different contribution levels you can give at and get certain perks like becoming an associate producer on one of the shows. Uh, or, or you could uh, be able to join the Patreons Roundtable where you get to talk with hosts from the network and other fans from the network. Just talk about a subject each month. It's really fun. So, uh, yes, again, go to patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you can also be part of the Trek.fm team. Now, Brandy. Yes. We're here. We're here. On this experience. Exploding volcano of an island, which I don't know why we came here to record because I don't know how much time we've got. You know, we this was not a good idea. I'll it's probably just not. say it right up front. What could go wrong? <laughs> um, don't get but... too close, you'll die. <laughs> so this this movie picks up three years later uh, from Jurassic World. Uh, the park's in ruin, dinosaurs face extinction again, and uh, Claire is working hard to save the dinosaurs. And there is a new character, Eli Mills, who is the manager of the Lockwood Fortune. Now, the Lockwoods, uh, Sir Benjamin Lockwood, is also a new character who was Hammond's partner at the very, very beginning and helped start this whole thing uh, until they had a falling out. And he, on the other hand, wants to use this genetic research and these dinosaurs as a weapon for sale to the highest bidder. And so I wanted to ask you, since this is kind of the basic storyline, how does that work for you with the movie as a, as a setup for, you know, where we start? Well, it, it does work for me because Lockwood's whole thing is that he thinks that they're going to get all of the animals off the island or as many as they can and take them to a sanctuary where they can just roam free. And not have, you know, basically law of nature is all they're going to be subject to. There's not going to be tourists. There's not going to be anyone else interfering. It's just the dinosaurs can live out their lives in peace. And that sounds great. I would have loved that. But that's not going to make an interesting movie. So I I felt like that was so not on the level. And I was not at all surprised when... Uh, I found out the true reason that Eli was behind all of this. It's it's just another example, and this happens in life every day, of people not learning from history, and so they're doomed to repeat it. And greed will outweigh common sense anytime, anywhere. So it's a good premise, and it's a believable premise, in my opinion. Yeah, I think for this universe, and especially where the last movie hinted at the idea that you know, they wanted to use Owen's research uh, and weaponize it, yep. um, that there was a, a dark underbelly to the Maserati Corporation uh, that was in charge of InGen. And uh, yeah, it, you really got this feeling that, that there was something else going on here with all of this corporate greed. Uh, there was an even greedier part of the corporation that was even more evil with what they're thinking about uh, instead of just trying to, like, you know, make money off of selling dinosaurs in cages, uh, let's sell dinosaurs as weapons, because um, that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and I, I really like what you point out, you know, that this idea of, like, not learning from history. Like, how is how is this a, a, a good idea in any sense of the, of the word? But, um, yeah, I just... So I was reading up, and, and Colin Trevorrow, uh, who helped obviously he directed the uh, first Jurassic World and, and he helped write this one um, I thought that was really interesting that they were inspired by Grant's um, quote from the first film about how dinosaurs and man separated by all these years of of evolution and we're not here to get into the conversation about evolution <laughs> right so but the the conversation for the movie is that that's such an interesting 
idea, like what happens when those two worlds collide in maybe a a much bigger way than the, just being on an island. And then also, too, this, this idea was inspired by a mistake made a long time ago just can't be undone. Uh, and I, I so I feel like, to me, the thematic premise of the movie and the way that the storyline plays out, it, it, it's exactly what they wanted. Um, I, I really think that it's a strong premise for a film, and it makes... To me, it makes a lot of sense why the rest of the action happens in a way that I don't dis I don't hate the lost world, but I also feel like the reason for make you know bringing the dinosaurs off the island is just as dumb, if not dumber, than like making weapons like, oh, it didn't really work on an island, so let's bring them to the mainland because nothing can go wrong there. No, nothing's wrong with the T-Rex tromping about through the suburbs. That's just fine. Because you know yeah, that T-Rex I'm, is going to get loose. It's just a slow Tuesday, you yeah, know. good grief. Uh. You know it's going to get loose. Come on. <laughs> well, it, 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 I mean... And I guess, you know, that's that's the thing where I guess the plot too here where, you know, the dinosaurs are not meant to get loose whatsoever. These dinosaurs are being shipped there to be sold so that they can go to other people who will do whatever it is they'll do with them, mm-hmm. you know, um, which is most likely going to be to find ways to weaponize them. Um, which, of course, is very dangerous, but it, it's not an idea of like, oh, we're going to bring dinosaurs and we're going to put them in a park on the mainland where if they get out you know the carnage will be ridiculous um so i I, to me it just it it makes more sense it does make more sense and it's completely believable that there are people greedy enough and eccentric enough that they want to buy a, a dinosaur that that makes perfect sense. Rich people have nothing better to do with their money than do really <laughs> weird, bizarre things. Heaven forbid you help the human race. No, let's buy some dinosaurs and hunt them in our self-made jungle. I don't know what they were going to do with them, but it, they were not good reasons. I'm sure that no one who bought any of those dinosaurs had a good reason for it. No, 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 no. And 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 I like what you said there. I think that's a great point. You know, because Chris Pratt's Owen makes that point of, you know, with all this money, you know, you could have cured cancer, you could have done any number of things, mm-hmm. but you've decided to weaponize dinosaurs. Yeah. And it sounds yeah. really, it, it really drives that point home when he says it aloud. Because we're all kind of thinking it at this point, but when Owen actually says it and how much money has been spent on this endeavor, and it's just, oh, Wow. You could have fed so many hungry people. You could have brought relief to third world countries. But no, you decided to sell and weaponize dinosaurs. How right. many How many people could a Brachiosaurus feed, do you think? Ooh. Oof. I, I mean, don't is like Brachiosaurus think meat good, you wonder? <laughs> I I, because I, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking like you're like, you could feed all these people. Like one Brachiosaurus could feed like. That's not what I meant. <laughs> but I'm just asking like, you know, like. It seems like a good idea to bring these dinosaurs back if, you know, you could feed the entire state of Texas with one, you know, Brachiosaurus, or at least, you know, Kentucky. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a good-sized state, right? So, I just... I, my, my, you, you made me think of something that, like, is actually kind of a legitimate question. Like, we could really have uh, have not only brought dinosaurs back which is um you know a, a really cool thing right and this is a question it's not on the outline but i was just thinking about this claire says that she still thinks that this was a miracle mm. this idea of being able to do something like this and i guess i wanted to pose that question to you do you think if that was a possibility it would be a miracle or is it just going to be what, you know, Malcolm has been saying since the very first one that this is the worst idea in the long, sad history of bad ideas? Yeah, well, that is a very slippery slope because it all depends on who has control over the whole thing and how everything is used. And the thing is, is that people who do this sort of thing, who, who would be doing it for the right reasons, 
say, as a food source to feed millions of people, etc., those people are not going to remain in control because they're the people on the ground floor that are creating these things, and they have a much better vision than the people at the top who have the money and the controlling interest in everything. So it's never going to work out well unless you have some really benevolent rich person at the head of it all, and that almost never happens. No, I, I agree with you. I, I feel like when you have a, an enterprise like this, it does feel like it, it kind of gets taken over by... Because even like Jurassic World, um, Masrani seems to be mostly benevolent in, in his goal. I mean, he enjoys the, the making money, but he also seems to care about the dinosaurs. You know, he even asks Claire, how are my, how are the animals doing? You know, are they happy? Like, he seems to care about, yeah. you know, their well-being and everything. Um, but then there are all these people around him at that point that don't. And I just, yeah, I guess it, it is an interesting thing because, yes, it, it, for all intents and purposes, it would be a miracle for this to be able to happen. Yeah. You know, it, that's that's undeniable. But would it actually be a miracle in the sense that would it be a good thing? And, of course, I guess, you know, that's what these movies try to explore in some way. And I think that that's what makes, you know, the whole series so interesting. And it's one of the things that really, uh, I think, made Michael Crichton's original book so groundbreaking and it's actually still I've I read it recently in like the last year or so reread it and it's actually still really relevant um and mainly it's because I think the whole question of, about these films and especially I think even in, here in Fallen Kingdom we're really asking about our responsibility True. Like what is our responsibility with um the the things that we create. And in the movie, I thought it was really interesting that at the beginning, there are all these people who are trying to save the dinosaurs because they do feel that we as humans, since we created them, have a responsibility towards them. And therefore, we need to protect them. And I thought that was just, a, to me, that was a great way to start off this whole conversation of responsibility. It is. And... The fact that Claire now feels that responsibility, that change happened in Jurassic World. And it didn't happen until she and Owen were going through that big open area, the big plains, and there were all these dead dinosaurs that the Indominus Rex had killed just for the sake of killing. And there was one that was still alive, and, they, and she was brokenhearted to watch this animal die, and she finally realized these are living creatures with minds and feelings. And it wasn't just... A business anymore. And so she actually was able to make that turn. And I think part of what she is doing is burying that guilt that she feels over what she did so that she doesn't have to deal with that and just focuses on saving these animals now. Yeah, I think I think that is a good point because, you know, Claire gets reminded by Mills saying, you know, I'm, look, I'm not the only one who's exploited these animals for money. Yeah. Oh yeah. You you put them in cages and had people come ride baby triceratops and stuff for money. I mean, so um it is a good reminder and I think uh what I liked was the film did a good way of showing you how much she had grown because yes. her goal then was to rectify that mistake in in much the same way that Hammond in the first movie in Lost World his goal is to rectify the mistake and allow the dinosaurs just to be on the island by themselves and not be touched and just live out their days and be peaceful. Mm -hmm. That's um, exactly, that's, it's perfectly mirrored, I think. Yeah. And, and I, I thought it was interesting too, because the, the, then the question was like, okay, so you have to ask these things. So do extinct animals, do they have the same rights? I mean, we, because we brought them back through science, you know, is, I thought the question actually was really interesting brought up. Is the volcano an act of God meant to correct the mistake that we made? Like, you know, uh, I, which is a great question. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a you know an act of God. That's what we call those kind of things. And the world wrestling with this as it the time runs out for the dinosaurs, I thought was fascinating because there are all great questions and. 
um, there is, in the end, you can't put the dinosaur back in the egg. No. You know? No, you can't. But at the same time, the way that I look at that is, if that island was full of any other kind of animal or humans, they would have been evacuating that island long before that volcano was starting to erupt. But because these are a man-made creation, suddenly they're not as important. Suddenly they don't have the same rights. That is the argument that there is. And where do you draw the line as to what deserves to be alive and what doesn't? How do we get to make that choice? Just because we think we're the dominant species? We're not. We're outnumbered by a lot of things on this planet. A lot of things. But we think we're the smartest, and we think we have the right to make those choices for those animals. And I I don't know that we are smart enough to do that. I, you know, it, it really, I think it, something that I saw, uh, because they throw at Owen that he's responsible for this whole idea of, like, weaponizing the dinosaurs and everything. But the thing that I was really struck by with Owen is how, you know, he's a, uh, animal behaviorist and, mm-hmm. and psychologist, like figuring out how animals think and, and all that stuff. And what I, I thought was beautiful, I really loved them playing the videos of him training the raptors yeah. and seeing his relationship with Blue and how she had responded to him. And she was really, her intelligence was being formed by the relationship that he was cultivating with her. And in many ways, uh, for me, as somebody who's a person of faith, it reminded me of kind of what the Garden of Eden was supposed to look like, right? You're, mm-hmm. the, the, the whole point of that, the, the gift that Adam and Eve had been given was that they would have this kind of relationship with the animals. They, are, they were meant to be the ones who took care of everything. They were supposed to be the stewards. They were, they were meant to be... They're called to be uh, the ones who had dominance over, but not dominance in a sense of like in a in a bad way. Yeah, it was in this kind of way where it's it's a mutually beneficial relationship, and Owen crafting that with Blue was really beautiful. And so, I don't think Owen actually has any responsibility. For somebody corrupting what was beautiful. That's not his fault. And that's what I thought was really great about this whole thing is like Owen was basically doing it right. He was doing Uh, it right. I agree with that completely. And he wasn't what he was doing was never intended to be to weaponize anything that that was taken and perverted into such. Maybe that made him naive, but it certainly didn't make him a contributor to that, in my opinion. So when he said that this was on him, I'm just like, uh-uh, honey, it's not on you. It's not on you. This is on the people who took your research and turned it into something ugly. Well, and, and I mean, again, like that, his research and his, his study of these animals is, is exactly, again, like the very thing that humans should be doing. Like we, it, it, as being good stewards of the world that we have been given— uh, and our goal is not, it shouldn't be to exploit animals, mm-hmm. but to have a mutually beneficial relationship with them. I mean, that's what we see with domesticated animals like horses and, you know, those kind of things. Like, I think that that's the, the beauty is when that relationship really works to the benefit of both, you know. And something about the way Owen was working here was it was really beautiful. But, you know. Uh, again, I saw this great quote from Trevor where he's talking about, you know, the dinosaur auction was meant to kind of like the worst instincts of man were revealed. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, our our basest nature, which is not good, obviously. It is mm-hmm. evil. And you can see it in this movie, which is uh, the first film was all about this kind of corporate greed. And then he said, this movie is just about human greed. Yes. And you see that. And I was... This whole idea of like responsibility, I was rem- I, I liked the metaphor of this film because what do we do with what we create as human beings? Whether it's technologies, is it cities, is it political structures, is it our children? Like 
like when we think about humanity and our act as creators, how do we then treat our creations and how does that reflect on us? True. It's, and that's the thing that I think was the hardest for me to reconcile. I can understand both sides of the argument. I can understand Malcolm's argument. I can understand uh, Claire's argument. I just don't want to see any living thing suffer simply because they were created. Now, nothing living ever necessarily asks to be created. We all come from a creator of sorts, whether it be parents or what have you. So if it's something that's living... It didn't necessarily ask to be here. Someone made conscious choices that resulted in this creature being here. And now you're the parents. You are responsible for that creation. And you have to step up and make that creation, you know, not suffer. Have a life. Otherwise, you're a monster. <laughs> if you're creating something just to exploit it, that makes you a monster. Well, and I think, you know, when we think about this in terms of, like, technology, when we think about this in the ways that we we live, um, the political structures that have been created uh, throughout the world, when we look at different um, ways that humans organize themselves, when we look at how we treat our children, I, I think that what we see here in the film, there are two ways that you can do things. You can treat everything as if you are a consumer and you see everything through the lens of what something benefits you in the end or as what it gets you monetarily. Or we can be stewards and people that think about the implications of our actions of creation and how we're accountable because then we are the creator. And this movie shows two different ways, you know, like, and, and we saw Owen being accountable. He didn't even create Blue, but he's accountable for her, the way he treats her, the way he treats all of the raptors he was in charge of, you know, uh, and, and the first movie kind of, Claire was the juxtaposition to that, the person who it's just about the money, it's mm -hmm. just about what they bring in, and, you know, now they're on the same side, but this movie continues that trend where, we see even a further degradation through consumerism of how we're going to treat something. And I think, I don't know, it. to me, this movie seemed to be a, a pretty damning look at our society and just how, uh, cons how consumerism really has, in so many ways, damaged us mm. as a, a, a society and as a people because that's how we see everything we we and and that is it's kind of it's kind of killing us i think it is we we will be our own destruction <laughs> but the the way that they treat the dinosaurs in this film you could remove dinosaurs and put in a bunch of different other living exotic animals that we have on this planet today and it's just as horrifying and they were putting these poor animals into cages where they couldn't even turn around, where they couldn't could barely lie down, if that. That is cruelty. That is cruelty. They were being not just horrible people as to not caring where these animals went, but they didn't care how in what condition they got there, as long as they were still breathing. They didn't care about them really being fed or having any comfort, being able to lay down. They didn't care about any of that. All they cared about was their bottom line. This was just another commodity for them to sell. It wasn't a living, breathing organism at all. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Life is precious in all its forms. Yeah, I, um, there was something that, it, that really struck me, and I, I, I think it caught a lot of people, uh, you know, when that Brachiosaurus dies. Don't, don't, don't make me think and, about that. And it was, it was, it was really heart-wrenching because, you know, you see this thing that we have created. And I, and I just, again, like, I like what you said. You can substitute so many things. You can substitute uh, the way we treat 
children, born and unborn. You can you can substitute uh, the like you said. You can substitute any uh, animal species that we are mistreating. You can substitute uh, any people group that we're mistreating. You can substitute like any technology that we are misusing. I mean, like I I think the 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 resonance of what they're doing in this film is is really strong in that, and it, I was really moved by that scene both times that I saw the movie. Because you just see us as a as a species continually opening up Pandora's box and pretending like everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Um. And and uh, you know what I also really liked too is that you know you can you can substitute like the the question that becomes in this movie and as Trevorrow said you know how do you go back you know you. Uh, you can't just undo what you've done, and so we have. How how do you deal then? How what does the new world look like when you have things like what we've done, which is you know atomic power and um, you know all of these different types of things uh, that we just keep creating things without you know. I, I just I, it all comes back to what Malcolm said at the beginning uh, the, the, in the first movie, you know. Um, about how you've created this thing um, and your scientists were so busy thinking about whether they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Mm -hmm. And it just, this movie really, I think, um, continues to drive that stake home with perfection, I think. Yeah. Well, it's to me that that scene with the Brachiosaurus was really, really hard for me. And in fact, my husband knew he just like reaches over without even I didn't say anything or anything. He just reaches over, takes my hand. I'm like, dang it. It's like they took that scene from Jurassic World and made it 20 times worse. So because I'm a bleeding heart. So, oh, gosh, I'm getting emotional about this again. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay because I I felt this, and you know I felt the same way that you did when I saw that scene. I was just like, it it brings you all the way back to Jurassic Park, where the first dinosaur that you see, uh, full on, is the Brachiosaurus, mm-hmm. and you know the last one you see on the island is a Brachiosaurus, and, yeah. and it's just it it's a really, I think it's a really effective way of kind of bringing us full circle on where our responsibility lives, how we're accountable, and, and, and the realization that we as creators, as human beings, because we have the creative energies that none of the other creatures on this planet do, that does put us in a place of dominance, but that also puts us in a place of importance. Yes. Um, in the sense of we're the only ones who can be held responsible because we're the only ones who don't run just on instinct. Uh, and therefore that makes us responsible for the rest of this planet. And we do a pretty crummy job of that. <laughs> we really, really do. We do. We we suck at the whole God thing, don't we? Yes. Uh, so, and I, I like that you said that because I think this is the one of the things that the, the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World movies really do a great job of is that they continually drive home the stake. We are crummy gods. We really, really are. And that's that point has been driven home in movies since time immemorial. Well, since movies have been around. But this one, I feel like it puts it so much in your face, which it needs to be. It needs to be in your face. It, it's a mirror that they're holding up to us saying, you know, Get your stuff together. There are bigger problems than the differences between us. We need to take care of this planet and everything else on it. Or it could all go away. It could all go away. And nobody ever thinks that far. Nobody ever thinks that far. They're always caught up in their their now and the immediate future. And they don't think about anything past that, past their own sphere. And that's not the way humanity should be. That's not the way this planet should be. sorry i'm getting on the high horse now no i agree i agree and i think you know the idea of of us playing with things that and 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 rewriting trying to rewrite the laws of the universe Mm -hmm. you know obviously that that 
there are laws of the universe for a reason. You know, things are the way they are because they're the way they are. And and we get so, like you said, wrapped up in. Uh, and I I think it really just goes back to it. It comes to a consumerist mentality of that it, it's all about me and it's all about what I can get. Then we don't care about anything else, and and we just live in that world and and. We're reaping the benefits of that type of attitude constantly, and it's uh there. Let, let's just say we we are um we are not going to be happy as we continue to sow those seeds of you know destruction mm. continually um, because we want to live so selfishly, and you know uh yeah in the end we are crummy gods. So we are and. Uh, Here's the thing, though. When you create something like a bunch of dinosaurs that were never meant to exist with human beings, you kind of get what you deserve. If those dinosaurs get loose and eat you, mm, sorry, you kind of brought that on yourself. So (laughs) so for me, it's like, oh, gee, I do not feel bad that that guy got torn apart by a a T-Rex. What did you... um... What did you think of the new characters that we got? Uh, and we don't have to touch on all of them, but, um, you know, we, we did get Eli as, you know, Lockwood's, uh, you know, ambitious right-hand man. You know, we've got um, this new character, Franklin Webb, who's the IT guy. Um, Zia, who's the um, uh, paleo veterinarian. Uh, and that is Lockwood. a thing. It is a thing. Yeah. So... Um, <laughs> You know, uh, Maisie. Uh, so, yeah, what did you think of all these these new characters we kind of introduced? I enjoyed all of them. I I felt like Franklin would get with the program. And when he accidentally gets mistaken for somebody who works for Mills, and you, for a long time you're like, oh, they've got to rescue him. He manages to stay alive. He keeps his head down, keeps doing what they tell him to do as a survival tactic. But when it comes right down to it, he steps up when he needs to, even though he's a bit of a fraidy cat and there's nothing wrong with having a healthy survival instinct. So I I enjoyed seeing that turn and seeing him figure out who he really could be besides just the IT guy. Zia, I felt like... (laughs) I felt like Zia and I had a kinship because if I were in the same situation as she, I would probably be mouthing off every other second as well. Uh, so she actually, she she actually verbalized everything that I would have said in the same situation. I'm like, you go, girl, you go, you just keep rebelling, you keep being nasty to these nasty people, and don't take their crap for a second. And Maisie, that little actress, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. I was so impressed with her and delighted with her. And every time she was on the screen, she was hypnotic to me. So she 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 worked for me. I really enjoyed her. Uh, I suspected the truth about her very early on when Grandpa wouldn't show her any pictures in his album. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. I, I really liked, uh, I think most of the new characters really worked. Um, I, I, I felt like it was, I appreciated with, like, Eli mm-hmm. that they Eli Mills um, that they just went with the guy who is unscrupulous yeah. and amoral you know and um, I, I I love those type of characters because I I think they throw in the face of of humanity the idea of this is what happens when you com- you believe that there's no real right or wrong we mm-hmm. all just get to choose because this is what we get we get characters who then take that to the nth degree and that's the danger. Um, so I really liked that about his character and I always enjoy when they play with that in a film because, you know, if it's all relative, like who, who cares, you know, I'm just out to make a buck and I'm just out here to take care of me. And so, um, that's really all that matters. So I, I liked that. Um, I thought Franklin was pretty funny. Um, I enjoyed his, his bits of, um, comedy relief basically, um, so, but no, and then I agree with you. I thought his moment where he takes initiative and he knocks out Wu and, you know, helps save Zia. Um, and then she has the great idea. It's like this movie did a great job of having all the characters work together to save each other mm-hmm. at different times. But you never felt like it was it was in a way that was trying to make anybody look weak or whatever. It's Agreed. more of just humanity taking responsibility for somebody else. Uh, and I just thought that was really, uh, to me, it was just a, a, 
a way of showing that you can write characters getting saved by one another without there needing to be any question of like, oh, well, it just made that person look weak. Yeah. Or like a damsel in distress or, mm-hmm. you know, any of those kind of things. So I just felt like they did a really good job. I agree. I loved I loved Zia and Claire's strength um, because, yeah, Claire, Claire became, she became a bad A in Jurassic World and yeah. she continued along that line in Fallen Kingdom. And I enjoyed her from beginning to end and to have someone like Zia in there as well, who, yes, was unknown to us prior to this but i'm like yeah they can all hold their own everybody can hold their own whether they're male or female it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. they they all contribute and make it possible for for everyone else to stay alive in their group i always like i i think it's really smart Uh, i was thinking about this you know one of the reasons that you try to have i think children in those movies is that you want to bring home that this this is all going to impact the next generation, right? Mm-hmm. And Claire says that at the very beginning of the movie when she's talking to one of the senators trying to save, you know, the dinosaurs and get them on their side. And but I, I think that having a having a a child in these in these films when it's done right, it reminds you that what we do now impacts the future. And so, uh, one, I'm right there with you. I, I thought the uh, Isabella who plays Maisie was fantastic. She's a great little actress. Yes. I never felt pulled out by a kid performance. I thought she was really good uh, and, and very effective as the character. But I also felt like they did a great job of, of making us feel like, goodness, we are... <laughs> We are screwing up the world for the next generation, you know, and and then you can pull yourself out of that mindset. Like, how are we doing that now? I mean, look at every single issue just in the United States alone that our like government and, and just the people of our country have pushed down the road for years and years and years to the point where we're going to get to one of those next generations where they will not be able to handle all that we've passed down to them because we just haven't taken care of business uh, and done what we needed to do. And so I I think, again, having a kid in these movies helps bring that forward. Uh, and I just, I love this girl's performance. So I'm really hoping she will be a part of the next film because as we learned, the reason that Lockwood got into business with Hammond in the first place with this genetic research was because he had lost his daughter and his goal and what drove them apart in the end was that he wanted his daughter back and he did bring her back. And I was like, ooh, wow. So we jumped from human, I mean, we jumped from dinosaur cloning to human cloning that's a big that's a huge momentous leap huge really huge and i understand lockwood's desire to have his daughter back but really that was so selfish he basically created another human being just because he missed his daughter without any regard for how this little girl might differ from her mother so to speak etc and this girl is a whole new entity. She's not there mm-hmm. to be a replacement, but that's what he created her for. And so I feel bad that Lockwood lost his life. And that was when I knew, you know, full on that Eli was completely without any kind of morals whatsoever, even though I already thought so. I thought, yeah, it's not going to be too long before he smothers that old guy with a pillow. Oh, wait, he's picking yeah. up a pillow. <laughs> oh, dear. So... And I just, uh, it, I understand why he did it, but at the same time, that was not the right thing to do. You don't just go around creating another human as replacement for something you've lost. That's not fair to either party. 
I did like, however, that when she came and tried to tell him what was going on, he he brushed her off at first, and I thought, mm-hmm. oh, why don't people ever listen to children? But then the very next day, he is doing what he said and yep. taking care of it the next day. And that's when, of course, he gets smothered by a pillow. Yeah. No, I liked I liked that as well. I thought that that was really nice because instead of it being that cliche, mm-hmm. it was actually he realizes that something's up. And you get the feeling as though that the housekeeper and the woman who's in charge of taking care of Maisie and um, the household and and uh, Benjamin Lockwood uh, has possibly been helping him find out what happened. Like yeah. I got that feeling a little bit, uh, and so yeah, I just I thought that that was really strong. And, and and what it was really fascinating too, because it one of the things, and I I didn't necessarily totally pick this up, but when I started reading about what their idea was. You know, um, one of Trevorrow's ideas, especially kind of moving into the last film of this trilogy, is is going to be, well, what if, you know, the engine company is basically the Mac of computers, right? Mm. But then what if you have uh, other people who now have this genetic ability and it's kind of like the open source PC world? Like, what happens when this power is unleashed on the entire world and we legitimately create Jurassic World. I, I, and, and of course, obviously now we have human cloning mixed in with that with Maisie. And it's like, oh, this is not good. I got a bad feeling about this. Absolutely. And the thing that there's, it's brought up in the film. Wu actually brings it up in the film when they're selling the prototype of the Indoraptor. And they're like, it's a prototype. You can make another. And he's like, yeah, and so will other people. And just that one line. And it seems like a throwaway line. But obviously, I felt that that was super important. So, yeah, now now we're in a place where it's like the whole nuclear arms race. One person makes it. And now everybody has to have one so that no one will use it. That's not how it works with dinosaurs, guys. It's not going to work the same way. It's a living creature now. Well, and and it, it's so interesting because it brings you back, you know, to what Malcolm said in the first movie. You know, uh, before you even knew what you had, you patented it and you package it and you're slapping it in a packet, you know, a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we've gotten to that point now where the 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 power has been unleashed on the world in the same way like atomic power is unleashed on the world and obviously you know uh it, atomic power hasn't has had benefits right like yes. you know from power plants and all sorts of stuff like that you know there have been benefits um but there are also always ways to take something and and corrupt it and i think you know the 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 danger here now is that we can have this type of corruption like i don't even want to think of the genetic power that they're using for these dinosaurs how that could be used on human beings too mm-hmm. like i mean we already kind of see that in our world where people are like starting to mess with their unborn children and like pick what eye color they want oh, and like good just grief, super no. creepy things like that that are just like we're we are that's what hitler st- did guys come yeah, on we are yeah we are starting to play god in ways that are just scary and so this movie i think is like opening up some doors to be able to talk about those kind of things and it it's a little bit freaky it is a little bit freaky and even things that have good applications like nuclear power uh still bad things have come of that as well, um, even the positive sides. For instance, uh, the one of the first nuclear reactors in this country was built at a compound not very far from the city of Arco, Idaho, where my father grew up. And they didn't know as much about shielding as they do today. That reactor did have a partial meltdown at one time. All of my father's family at one time or another did work at that reactor And nearly all of them have died of cancer. There is one of the nine original children left. And almost all of them died of cancer in some form or another. There was weird red dust on their crops every year. You know, stuff like that. (laughs) When when you're just starting out with something, 
there needs to be so much more oversight than there can be sometimes. And yes, there can be too much mm -hmm. oversight to where there's no progress. But at the same time, make sure you're not killing people with your creations. Well, yeah. And I think that's the thing, you know, like um, understanding the and, and, and working towards an understanding of the consequences of your actions, mm -hmm. you know, and I think we are clearly seeing just throughout the movie that there's this whole lack of respect for consequences of actions. Yes. But we also, that's mirroring what we also see in the world. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, and that once something is unleashed, you cannot put it back in the box. Nope. So that's where we get into trouble. Um, what did you think, just kind of speaking in generally more about the movie itself, like with the action and the effects and the music, you know, since this is a big, you know, summer blockbuster type film, how did you feel all of that stuff worked for you? I I did enjoy it. I I felt that the effects were good. When you go back and watch the original Jurassic Park and for the time that it was made, you think, oh, well, these effects are going to be hokey. Oh, my Lord, they still hold up. And so I feel like, in a way, they were trying to get back to that, where everything just looked re really realistic. And I felt everything looked really realistic. So because they were back to using a mixture of digital effects and practical effects, which is, I think, what you yeah. need to do. And yeah, so, this movie actually had the most animatronic dinosaurs of any of yeah, the films. And it works! It works! And so I really enjoyed that. Um, I won't go into the whole... Uh, volcano thing as far as everybody would have been dead several times over in real life but the actual eruption of that volcano was done extremely well extremely well i really enjoyed not just it coming out the top but it splitting out the side because that can yeah, happen yeah and yeah. Just, it happened in mount st helens yes so it just blew <laughs> out the side it couldn't blow I, the I top not far away yeah blew out the side so i i appreciated the the realistic uh effects there because it scared me volcanoes scare me that's why i like to know about them and knowing about them doesn't make them any less scary but i i appreciated pretty much all of the effects uh, it i never at, at any point felt like oh well that's fake i was just you know i was just enjoying the movie so yeah no i uh, so i was trying to uh, Really pay attention because um, one of the things I really enjoyed about Solo was the fact that uh, I felt like the, the work ILM did there was flawless yes. in the sense I was never taken out of the film. Agreed. And I don't feel like any of the effects work here re ever really took me out of the movie to where I was like, oh, that doesn't work for me. I felt like they did a really good job. And I, I'm with you. I think, you know, uh, the fact that they created an entire blue animatronic dinosaur. So when they're doing the surgery there, they're actually touching something. Mm -hmm. uh, the same thing with the T-Rex when they're trying to get the blood. It's That it's was so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, they're back to that. So I think that stuff really, they made an Indoraptor as well. You know, so that stuff really worked. Um and then I felt like just the rest of the action was was well done. In fact, I loved the kind of like gothic horror house, <laughs> yes. haunted house thing we did yes. uh, at the estate. I, I just, that stuff, again, it was like they, they found ways, I felt like, to make the action feel different than, I mean, the, the island felt like classic Jurassic Park stuff. But then you got out of that and you got into being in this house where these dinosaurs are and that just got like it, it had a different feel to it and i i liked the more horror feel to it which yes. was fun and you know i had a thought while i was watching the movie and the first time that claire visits the house and eli takes her in through that big room with all the artifacts and stuff in it and i see the spiral staircase and all these windows dis with displays in them i thought Wow, this really reminds me of that scene in Hellboy, the first Hellboy movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that just that made me happy. Actually, I just like, yeah, I'm ready for some gothic horror. Bring it. <laughs> so that just that instead of me thinking, oh, they ripped this off, that never occurred to me. I just I felt like it was just a fun connection in my brain that I made. Yeah, well, and I thought you know the director. Uh, did a monster calls and mm -hmm. uh what was it the impossible i think it is um 
which was a both of those are amazing films. Yes. And I think he he did. I, there were some shots in the movie that I really loved. I loved when the Indoraptor was on top of the house. Yes. And they do that shot where it it, it goes down like you're going uh, you're looking down and the, the camera rotates mm-hmm. so that you're you're oriented back correctly. Um, which I thought was fantastic. There's just some stuff like that that they did, which was really nice. Uh, and so, yeah, I just, I, I was kind of shocked to see the reaction that this movie got because I felt like I, this movie is not perfect. No movie is. And, no, and and we say that you know, and I think there there's there's some parts of it that do feel slightly derivative and and everything, but to me, um, I guess it's a good time just to get to the ratings since you know, I mean we could continue talking about this forever, but <laughs> um, and I apologize for going first. I don't normally go first, oh, but um, so uh, I I uh, this movie just worked for me. One, I enjoyed the dino action, which, you know, yeah. if if it's, if it's a Jurassic World or Jurassic Park film, I need to enjoy the dino action. So that's one check. Two, I need the story to feel somewhat plausible in the sense of why we're back there. So again, I feel like that they had already kind of set up where we were going and they logically progressed from that. So it didn't just feel like a continuation of something we've done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are connections, obviously, with what happens in the Lost World, but I felt like, as we talked about earlier, this makes actually more sense why you're taking the dinosaurs off the island, um, and um, I think that the only thing that didn't work was the second time I saw it, I realized, and I want, uh, before I completely finish my rating, I want to get ask you this. So, they let them all out of the cages... And then they then Maisie opens the door, mm. but if it's flooding with this gas, if you just open the door, won't it vent out and the dinosaurs will be fine? True. Which <laughs> then I was thinking to myself, okay, with the concentration of the gas and how far they are underground, will the would the gas vent fast enough for it to still not kill the dinosaurs which that becomes the question which i don't know the answer to that question so that was the only thing where i was like there was possibly another way the, and yeah so, i i get but i, I i'm not i can't be certain i couldn't yeah. be certain yeah and that's so. the thing there's no way to know how much time it might have taken because those dinosaurs were dying Frankly, I if I were in the same situation, my first instinct would be to let all the dinosaurs out, especially since they're crammed in these little cages that they shouldn't even be in that are, you know, basically torture because they're so small. So I would have been the first person to say, yeah, let them out and then open the doors. And so when Claire decided not to do that, I'm like screaming in my head, no, why are you going to watch them die? Do not make me watch all these fake animals die. And then Claire opens the door. Uh, not Claire, excuse me. Maisie opens the door. And I was I was actually grateful for that because I thought, yeah, I, I understand that there possibly could have been another way, but these dinosaurs need to be out because humanity needs to deal with what they've wrought. Yeah, and, and I guess, um, I, even before we get to the ratings, I came up with another question. Um, so... My thought process was this, is that, you know, even though those dinosaurs get released, other than Blue, none of those dinosaurs should be hard to track down and capture. True. I mean... Except the compies. The compies are so little. Well, yes, those would be be slightly more difficult. But um, the, like, I'm just thinking, you know, that T-Rex, you know, some army rangers and a 40 caliber would take care of it Mm. pretty quickly you know like any of those um you know large herbivores they're not going to be able to move very fast you know so it, it it did seem a little strange to me this whole idea that all of a sudden the world is going to have dinosaurs now when it, i mean unless they're all pregnant you know like with or or you know i would 
is that really going to happen? The only thing that where now is the dinosaurs, we have other people who may be able to make them. So that's the way I felt like it would be, you know, really populating the earth. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we have the pteranodons, you know, uh, and the pterodactyls and stuff, which, you know, that's slightly did more difficult, but still, um, but didn't, I don't know that didn't, that was the one thing at the end that didn't quite feel like, oh, no, now dinosaurs roam the earth again. Well, it was, shouldn't didn't, be that hard to capture them. Didn't Wu escape with a lot of blood samples and embryos and stuff? Yeah, and they and that happened again too. So, um, yeah, he always escapes. <laughs> yeah, but just the idea that like, oh no, these dinosaurs escaped and we can't catch them. Like honestly, again, the only one who should be very difficult is Blue. Well, and the flying ones, the pterodactyls or pterodactyls yeah, I mean, would be really hard to catch. <laughs> well, it'd be hard to catch, but I mean, they definitely wouldn't be hard to kill. You yeah, know, but I mean, is is that what we should be doing? Well, That's and the I, thing. I mean, again, yeah. I so I I guess in the end, Mike, I am interested to see how they do this in the next movie. Yeah, um, for sure. So, um, yeah, I guess if I had to rate it, I would say, especially talk about now. I don't know. This this movie might actually have moved up a quarter of a star just to four stars out of five. Ooh. If, Four out of five dino eggs. <laughs> so, um, because I just, I, I just, I felt like we had a really good conversation. And if you can have that amount of depth and really enjoy, I mean, I enjoyed the movie mm. immensely twice. Like I had a great time with it. Um, I loved being back with Claire and Owen. I think, um, you know, Pratt and Howard have great chemistry. They do. I think they, um, they took those characters from the first movie and they really grew them into the second movie. Yes. They made them even better characters this time, which was nice. And so, yeah, four out of five. So what about you? Nice. Well, uh, in it, we're actually probably going to be extremely uh, close in ratings. Actually, we're going to be ex pretty much exactly the same, except mine is going to be four Indomitus Resk, uh, Indomitus Rex teeth out of five. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So yeah, we didn't even talk about that dude who was taking teeth, but <laughs> I was just glad he died. So yeah, I I was waiting for that to happen. I'm like, so so when the the Indo Raptor basically had his arm, I'm like, just chomp it off, chomp it off, and then he chomped it off. I'm like, or, or she? I, I'm not even sure if it was a male or female, but yeah, usually they make them female. Yeah, but who knows if they've changed that or not? Yeah, time, it's but. uh anyway. Yeah, he deserved what he got. Yeah. So I just glad I mean, I don't know. I just I'm it's so fun that we liked the movie and we really enjoyed it and um you know, I I'll be really interested to see what other people thought of the film. Um you know, I know it right now I think on Rotten Tomatoes it's at 50%, so 50% of the people seem to like it and 50% seem to not like it. So uh, it's very right there in the middle. I'll I'll be interested to see what other people think on the Babel conference. So. Perhaps uh, those people that didn't like it uh, did not like the mirror it held up to our society. Uh, it's a possibility. And perhaps um, they were just looking for mindless adventure instead of a story. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I always feel that way about, uh, you know, Zack Snyder's first two DC films, but... Um, that's a whole other discussion. So. <laughs> but Brandy, um, since we told everybody about Patreon at the beginning, uh, I'm so glad that we got a chance to sit down and talk about this. It was super fun. Yes. Um, and and uh, we both really enjoyed the movie and can't wait to hear whatever the people think. So where can people find you if they wanted to talk to you about Fallen Kingdom? Well, you can always find me on Twitter at Brandywine12. Brandy is spelled with an I, uh, wine in the number 12. You can find me sometimes lurking in the Babel Conference. And uh, if you want to friend me on Facebook, I guess you can, but I'm very particular. <laughs> I don't usually friend get become friends with people that I don't know, but if they're friends of friends, you know, you can find me at Brandy Jackola. That's my name. And uh, also, you can hear me on Warp 5 on Trek FM with my friends Brandon Shamatella and Patrick Devlin. Uh, Brandon's taking a bit of a hiatus at the moment. Uh, he needs uh, some well-deserved time off. And I also do a podcast with my husband uh, called the Dark Corner Podcast, which is at darkcornerpodcast.com. And we talk about various things, including the movies we go see, like Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And we do it from a bit of a darker viewpoint. And it is 
not for children. You can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram under the same name. Uh, you can find me also here in the network, which is Jones, talking all about Star Trek Deep Space Nine on the Orb. I also uh, on the Nerd Party Network with John Mills, talking about Star Wars over on Aggressive Negotiations, which, honestly, it's just such a fun show. Uh, and if you love Star Wars, I think you'd love that show that we do as we just dive into a Star Wars topic each and every week. Uh, we've I've got Owl Post with Drea Kaufman talking about Harry Potter. Uh, we are talking about the series one chapter at a time, and so make sure you check that out. I think it, it's it really is a fun show. We're right in the middle of the Goblet of Fire, so make sure you do check that out. And then um, last but not least, doing a show with my friend Courtney where we talk about films through the lens of faith, and that is called Cinema Stories. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back down, you hear? Thank you.